My biggest uh, thing I'm nervous about right now is being able to open this cup of communion when it comes time. You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm like over there getting it all prepped up. Like that's all I have to worry about. It's great. Great to be with you this morning. Me and all the people that don't have cabins up north. It's great to gather with you guys. I love youth ministry and actually... uh, it's kind of, I don't want to tell the whole story of how it came to be that I went from adult ministry to youth ministry, but I really feel like it's a calling for this season in my life. And that was made very obvious to me just in the last couple of years. Uh, if you don't know, like everyone on this stage, minus Gary, the, the bassist, uh, is from our youth ministry. So if I could go down the line, it's like Jake uh, just graduated a couple of years ago, came through our ministry Connor came through our ministry, and I'm trying to figure out who is here. McKenna's in our ministry now. Noah and Kaylee, both just, and Kaylee just graduating from our ministry. Jeff drumming uh, from 710, which is college and career. And even this morning in the back, everyone look at the back and look at Harrison. Harrison, raise your hand. Harrison is running the sound, just graduated high school. And then Caden, you know I'm coming after you. Caden is in the back also this morning. So this is like a full-on youth takeover of the service. And so if it's not as good as normal, give us some grace. Um, I want to give you guys an opportunity uh, to join us in this ministry to the next generation. Tom Schrader was the, the founding pastor at this church, and he had this vision for making an impact for Christ beyond this campus and beyond this generation. And that's been sown into me like a seed since I got here in 1998. This is bigger than this campus. And this is bigger than just our generation. But we have a responsibility to pass that on. And it's to to join us typically is a big ask. To join us typically means to be a mentor, to be a small group leader, to show up every week and to disciple and to care for our kids. But I have an opportunity for you to actually join us one night. This Wednesday, uh, we're doing something called Senior Send-Off, and this is something that's uh, now an annual tradition that started last year in the middle of kind of the COVID quarantine. But I loved it so much, I'm like, this has to be a part of our church. We've raised many of these kids, like Maddie Dresbach, who is up here reading the scripture. Since she was born, this church has held her, has discipled her, has cared for her, has taught her VBS has equipped her, and now she's graduating, Harrison is graduating, many, Kaylee is graduating, and we as a church have an opportunity this, this Wednesday to actually be the love of God, cheering them on and high-fiving them as we launch them into adulthood. Nobody has to tell you the pressures and the challenges that these kids are going to face in the next season of their life. They're going to be faced with questions they don't have answers to with situations where they don't know what to do. And I am not worried that they don't have all the answers to their professors or their peers. I don't worry about that because I didn't have those answers either. And many of you don't either. But what I had was a church body that loved me. And I had adults in my life that were invested in me. So when I did get challenged by the professor, professor, I didn't split. It was too hard to split. I had adults that I could go to and ask. This is what they said. I need help. 
And you have a chance not to be the wise sage in their life that they come to when that time comes and they get challenged, but you have the opportunity to show up and show them that you love them, that this church loves these kids. Wednesday at 7 p.m. to 8.45, we're going to go bananas and cheer these kids on. All right, please join us. This is also uh, the last call for those of you youth that have not signed up for camp. We're headed to camp June 18th through 22nd. The price now is $4.35. Many of you gave scholarships, so there is scholarship available. Thank you for giving generously to that. And uh, literally Wednesday night at 12 a.m. after senior send-off is the cutoff. Like nobody gets into camp, right, Julie? Nobody gets into camp once midnight hits. It's like turning into pumpkin. Registration turns into a pumpkin. We can't do it anymore. All right, uh, let me pray, and we're going to get into the text. Father, magnify yourself. Glorify your name. Your kingdom come in this place. Your will be done in these people's lives as it is in heaven. Father, we need bread. We need your word. We need you. Give us this this day. Give us our daily bread. Father, forgive us for our sins and help us to forgive others that sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the enemy. Lord, yours is the kingdom and the power. Yours is the glory. So glorify yourself this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeff Grant uh, was my childhood best friend, and I still keep in touch with him. A couple times a year, we exchange text messages and phone calls, and Jeff was a great friend. Actually, Jeff was the one that gave me the phone call and invited me to a church camp where I met Jesus. Jeff Grant, with a phone call, introduced me to Jesus. And I'm forever grateful for Jeff. But Jeff also made another great call in my life. Maybe like the second best phone call I got from Jeff. He said, hey, do you want to go down to Sky Harbor tomorrow and meet Michael Jordan? And now Jeff was a prankster, so I was like, I I think I probably hung up on him. No, seriously, do you want to go meet Michael Jordan? Well, this is like 1990. I'm 11 years old, and Michael Jordan is like king of the world. I can't even think of anyone more famous on the face of the earth. Maybe Michael Jackson at that time, but Michael Jordan was it. So I run to to Smitty's at the time. Those of you guys know Smitty's? And I grab the Wheaties box that has Air Jordan on it. And I buy a hat that has Michael Jordan on it. And I grab a Sharpie, like the best Sharpie that I can. And, and sure enough, the next day, we go down to Sky Harbor. Now, Jeff's dad was friends with Doug Collins. Doug Collins was the coach of the Bulls before Phil Jackson. And we go down there, and I'm just like sick to my stomach. I, I, I'm going to meet Michael Jordan, you know? And somebody told me, they said, now, guys, when Michael comes, don't make him take off the cap of your pen. You make sure you have that cap, and you're just handing him the Sharpie, and he's going to do as many autographs as possible. And I'm like, yes, sir. (laughs) Took the cap off. 
okay? Walking through Sky Harbor with the cap off. Do you see where I'm going with this? All right, so we go, and all of a sudden, here comes the gate opens, and Doug Collins walks off, and he comes and talks to us. The coach of the Bulls, the NBA champion, he comes and talks to us, and I'm, I'm like amazed, right? Like, oh my gosh, Doug Collins, Sharpie in hand, it's all ready, cap is off. And then all of a sudden, I see Bill Cartwright. I don't know if you remember that name, but he was, I'd, I was 11 years old. I'd never seen a seven-footer before. And he comes out of the gate like this, like ducking. And I was like, Doug Collins like disappeared at that point. And I was like, what is that? You know, and I'm kind of like drawn to Bill Cartwright. And then Scotty Pippen. <laughs> oh, Scotty Pippen, right? Like, oh my gosh, Scotty Pippen. Bill Cartwright at that point disappears. He is like irrelevant. Scotty Pippen has just come off the airplane and my knees are buckling and the cap of my pen is off. I'm ready for MJ. And then all of a sudden, behind Scotty Pippen, Jordan. And like everyone in Sky Harbor disappears at that point. And Doug looks at Michael and he says, Michael. And he goes like this, oh my gosh. And Jordan came over and my little, my little friend group of like five little 11 year olds with our markers ready in our Wheaties box and our hat, we all got signatures from Michael Jordan and he was very kind. But do you know what happened? I gave him my Wheaties box and he kind of looked at it, and then he kind of looked at me, and he gave me the Wheaties box. And I looked at it, and it was this faded you could barely see. I was like, no problem. We're back in the Suburban on the way home. I grabbed my friend's Sharpie. I can fix this. <laughs> on the back of the Suburban, Jeff and I are tracing Michael Jordan. So I have a Wheaties box that looks like Michael Jordan is a kindergartner at home. I don't think it's worth anything. Now, some people have questioned whether this is a true story or not. I have a picture, actually. Do you have that, Harley? All right, so there's MJ. He's got his tongue out. It's appropriate. You see it? And then Eddie is in the red shirt right there. My friend Jeff is in the red hat. And you can't tell that that's me, but if I go like this, you can see my ear stick out. See that white hat? See it? That was me, me and MJ, right there. There is a point to what I'm talking about today. Now, if you don't know, you know, Jordan, he's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. And I asked Mark Anderson, who's from Chicago, I said, hey, put together a little, like, highlight reel real quick for Sunday so that they can behold the greatest of all time. So here's what, here's what uh, Mark put together for us. Right back to Bulls, he bought 14. Jordan Pat Petrovich. Whoa! <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. The last one was no, no, no. <laughs> I didn't see that. <laughs> He's done a lot of great shots, but I've never seen this before from him. 
met that man. And I was a Kevin Johnson fan for the Suns. I'm Suns through and through. Like KJ, he was my man. But I came back from that meeting and I like doodled 23. And I learned how to draw that Bulls logo. And I got me some Bulls shirts. And I went out into uh, the backyard at Jeff's house and we put that rim down to eight feet. And we tried to jump up, fake, 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 spin it off the glass. Didn't look that good, but in my mind, we started to imitate Michael. We beheld him. We were drawn to him. He had glory. Glory is at the center of this passage that we're going to be at, and I wanted you to understand how glory works. The word glory means weight. It's magnificent, and it's something that draws us in. It's like if I, I, I tried to approve, um, I like props, but this prop was a little too big. I tried to approve getting a big trampoline up here. Okay, They said that's a little overboard, but I wanted to have a trampoline up here and just unleash a bunch of marbles. Okay, And then when you step on that trampoline, what happens? All the marbles go to your feet until something heavier steps on the trampoline. Then where do the marbles go? To the heaviest object. This is how glory works. Doug Collins was the heaviest object. All my attention is drawn towards Doug Collins, the coach, and then the seven-footer, Bill Cartwright. And it was like, you disappeared, and the marbles go towards Cartwright, then Scottie Pippen, then finally the heaviest most glorious object on the trampoline was Michael Jordan. And all my attention was towards Michael. This is glory. It means weight. And what did it do to me? It made me imitate. It made me in awe. This is my prayer. My prayer today is that at the end of this service, all our marbles, all the elements of our life would be drawn to the feet of Christ. That he would be more magnified than Michael Jordan. He would be more magnified and have more weight in your life than the American dream. Let's look at the text. This is uh, John 12. 27. It's important to know that up until this point, the marbles are falling into place. If you remember, Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, and the testimony about a dead man being raised has gone out, and that testimony is drawing huge crowds. You have Lazarus' sister Mary that anointed and worshipped Jesus with expensive nard, you have crowds that are asking to be with Jesus, and you have those that once were the heaviest object on the trampoline, the religious rulers where everyone came to them, they're furious. 
because now all the marbles are going to Jesus. And in fact, they make a, a point in the last passage, if we don't do something about this, everyone is going to be drawn to him. If we don't stop Jesus, the whole world is going to see his glory and go after him. We got to kill him. And what seems to set this next scene in motion is now the Greeks want to meet with him. Now the non-Jews are asking about Jesus. And so you'd think like, man, all the glory and popularity is coming to Jesus. Everybody rejoice. This is the time. This is why he came. He should be excited. And yet, here's what we find. Jesus says this, my soul is troubled. Jesus is depressed. Some of you, this should be great encouragement. Some of you, your soul is troubled. You have anguish. You've lost a loved one. Something's been taken from you. Something's being threatened. And you kind of look at this and you say, like, if I had faith and if I had spiritual maturity, if I was really godly, I wouldn't have this depression. My soul would not be troubled. And yet, look, Jesus is greatly troubled. Jesus' soul is heavy. That's what we call depression. And this isn't the only time. Actually, in the next chapter, I think, it says the same thing when Judas, his friend, sells him out. Being sold out by a friend and he's in anguish. The other time is when he saw Lazarus die and he saw all his friends weeping. His soul was deeply troubled. This is a real emotion. And this emotion points to you, not your unfaithfulness or your lack of faith. That emotion points that you're human. You're made in the image of God. Now, what you do with the emotion will reveal your faith. He's greatly troubled, and what does he do? He says, what should I say? He's kind of processing outside. Father, save me from this hour. Seems like a legit prayer, and is a legit prayer. The Psalms are filled with prayers of, Father, save me from this circumstance. That's an okay prayer. We should pray that when we're in trouble. But not today. Jesus says, no. This thing that has my soul in anguish, this circumstance is the very reason that I have come. And then he prays. Look at verse 28. Father, hallowed be thy name. Father, glorify your name. Jesus' life mirrors his teaching. How did he teach us to pray? The disciples said, Jesus, teach us. Rabbi, teach us how to pray. He says, pray like this. Father, hallowed be your name. And in Jesus' life, his life mirrors this. He is in trouble. He's in anguish. Father, glorify your name. Magnify. Father, on the trampoline of this world, step in and be the heaviest thing. Draw all the marbles to your feet. Father, glorify your name. Now, in contrast, when we're hurting, when we're grieving, when we're in anguish, what are our instincts? Save me from this hour. 
I want the marbles to come towards me. My, to- my trouble, my grief makes me turn inward. How about you? I need your empathy. I need you to understand what I'm going through. I need me to be a priority right now. I turn inward when I'm in anguish because in my thought process, the more attention and love I get, the better off I'll be. And yet Jesus does the exact opposite and he tells us to do the exact opposite. Don't turn inward in your anguish. Turn upward. Because Jesus knows something that we don't quite get. He knows that when God is, his Father is the most glorified, when all the marbles of my life go to the center of the trampoline around the feet of Jesus, it's for my benefit. Because at the feet of Jesus, all the elements of my life find their rightful place. Jesus sorts out my life when I'm drawn to his glory. And in the same way, I was thrilled to be around MJ. How much more ought I be thrilled to see Jesus be glorified? Now, MJ didn't sort out my life. Jesus promises what he's going to do with that glory is he's going to remake us. And the obstacles that I have in my life, like these things in my life, this marble that looks like this is an absolute dead end, like the thing that I need the most, this marble is standing in the way. At the feet of Jesus, I realize I have what I need. I have God. I have his love. I have his wisdom. And this marble that looked like an obstacle now looks like, oh, that's just a closed door. That circumstance is not keeping me from what I need. That is a closed door from God, and he's going to do something different. At the feet of Jesus, my thoughts, the elements of my life, get reorganized and sorted out. What happens next? He says, Father, glorify your name. And the Father answers in 28. And a voice came from heaven. He says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Two things. The Father looks back, and he speaks, and he says, in your life, all the signs and wonders, all the power that you've displayed, all the love towards the lost, the least, the lonely, all the mercy that's come out of Jesus' life, the Father says, I have been magnified in your life, and I'm not done magnifying. There's something else coming. There's a second part to the life of Jesus. I have glorified my name in you, and I will glorify. And that kind of takes us to what is he going to do next? There's a dispute amongst the people. The naturalists say, there's a logical conclusion for what just came out of the sky. Uh, It's thunder. The spiritual people said, no, 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 no. This is something supernatural. We've never seen this before. It's angels. Both the naturalist and the supernaturalist get it wrong. Jesus says, that voice was not for me. That voice was for you. This mission, what I'm about to do, is for your benefit. Everything that is happening right now is for your benefit. When my Father gets the glory and you behold his glory, 
That's for your benefit. We think our glory is for our benefit. And that's a lie from Satan. Jesus says, I know the plan. I want you to get the glory. I know what I have to do. And then he says this, three things that Jesus is about to accomplish. Now is the time for judgment of this world. Now is the time to judge the world. Now is the time to cast out the devil. And when I get lifted up, I'm drawing all nations. I'm drawing everybody to me. Three things. Look at 12, 31 through 32. It looks like it was already up there. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I'm going to draw all people to myself. Let's look at the first thing that he says he's going to do. Remember, this is the glorify God mission. First thing he says is now is the time for judgment of this world. Now, don't judge me. You guys heard that before? Don't judge me. Who are you to judge? judge judgment has a bad connotation to it, doesn't it? Judgment day. When it comes judgment day, it's like, oof. It's not going to be a good day. Yeah, I want to say this. There is something deep in our soul that wants judgment. When my kids are fighting and they're arguing, somebody's been wronged. How many of you have heard this? Dad. Anyone ever heard that? Dad, Tyler just dot, dot, dot. Or dad, Katie just, what do they want? Somebody to come into the room and this chaos and fighting and everything that's going on is they want dad to come and say, okay, what happened here? What happened? Well, give me your side of the story. And pretty soon through question and answer, I figure out, all right, here's who's right, here's who's wrong. This is what you did good. This is what you did bad. And now I'm going to give you a plan to reconcile. And then let's learn from this, right? Dad comes and he restores order. When I get in a car accident, you know, and everybody's fighting over whose fault it was. And I know it was not my fault. I was stuck just sitting here and I'm honking the horn as this lady is pulling back. And I know she can't see me and I'm honking the horn and she drills me. And then she comes out and she's like, I think it was 50-50. <laughs> I was backing up and you slammed into my bumper. And I said, I couldn't reverse. I, I'm like pressing on the horn. You know what? Let's call, let's call the police and, and they'll sort it out. And they said, no, it happened in a parking lot. So you guys are going to have to deal with that. And you're like, I need someone to come and tell her it was her fault. <laughs> I, need the, I need someone to come and justify me. We want something as we look at the world. We want Jesus to come back and sort it all out. All the fighting that's going on, Republican, Democrat, MAGA, BLM, all of the chaos, all of the wars, all of the strife, broken families, broken marriages, bullies, all of it. We want someone to come in. Dad, Father, Dad, come in and sort this thing out. There's something in us that wants that. Jesus says, now's the time. 
have come to sort it out, to tell the world who's right and who's wrong. Now you say, if you know your Bible, I thought there was a thing called the judgment day at the end. What is Jesus talking about now? Now is the time. There is a judgment day. Jesus uses three examples. He says it's going to be like sorting sheep from the goat. Sheep, you've been with me. You've loved me. You know me. You're with me. Goats, I didn't know you. You're out. He says it's going to be like a harvest. The wheat are taken in, and the weeds are bundled up and thrown away. He says it's going to be like fishermen that cast a net out into the sea and bring in the load of fishes. And the angels are going to say, no, that's the bad one. That's the bad one. This is the good one. There's going to be a sorting out sheep from goat. There's going to be a sorting out of good fish and bad fish. There's going to be a sorting out of the wheat and the weeds. That day is coming upon Jesus' return. That is judgment day. What Jesus is talking about is I'm about to make it very clear to everyone who's right and who's wrong. Look at uh, John 3:16 through 19. We're familiar with this passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn or judge the world. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn it or judge it, but to save the world through him. I'm seeing a contradiction. Jesus says, now is the time for judgment. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, is not found guilty, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Here's the verdict. Here's what's about to become painfully obvious. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. There's going to come a judgment on the last day. But in this moment, when God sends out of love his one and only son to bring light back into darkness, and we strip him naked, and we beat him, and we mock him, and we nail him to a tree until he dies. God's love sends mercy and kindness and patience and the light, and we murdered him. Verdict, humankind is evil. He sent the light into the world, and we rejected the light because we love darkness. The verdict is in. We're bad. Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
that when you behold the glory of the light of God that's come into the world and you see it, you see the glory, that's the king. That gospel is true. That good news is true. We are with him. The Bible says we are actually in Christ. We are in Christ and actually his death is our payment and we are set free from the condemnation of hell and judgment. Jesus pays for us. Do you see the glory in that? Not only is it mind-blowing that the creator of the universe has come in flesh, but now he dies on a cross to forgive us of our sins. The second thing that Jesus says, he says, I'm, gonna, I'm about to kick out the prince of this world. Like, okay, the world is broken, the verdict is in, I've judged the world, I came to love, you pinned me to a tree. Evil. Now who's responsible? Let's go back to the beginning of this. Who caused this fall? Satan. All right, I'm going to deal with Satan. I'm going to show you that we're all broken, and then I'm going to kick out the dude that started this whole thing. And you might say, well, how did he cast him out? Because, like, isn't Satan still here today? Isn't he still at work? That word, cast away, is like exercised. Like you exercise a demon. Exorcism. It's also the word, like, eject. What did Jesus do on the cross? He ejected Satan from his dominion. Okay, now here's, here's the deal. Satan is the ruler of this world. What? We all, Ephesians 2 said, we were all following the pattern of this world. And the pattern was set by the ruler of this age, the prince of the power of the age. He had dominion. So if you just say, hey, I'm just doing what everybody else is doing, you're following the pattern of Satan because he rules this place. And Jesus says, no more. Now, along with Michael Jordan, there was another Michael, not Michael Jackson. There was another guy, Mike Tyson. Man, Mike Tyson. I used to I used show videos to my kids, and I was like, Tyler, here's how it works. It's like everyone came in with a game plan, how to beat Mike Tyson. He had the belt. He was the champion. Nobody could defeat Tyson. And here we'd go. He'd get in close. I'd probably look really stupid doing this, but he looked, he looked cool when he did it, all right? And he'd get down low, and he'd hit him in the ribs, like, boom. And you just could see the person, like, guarding their face. All of a sudden, was like, oh. And this thing came down here. Oof. And then the next shot, what was it? It was like, boom, ribs. He lets down his guard, and then it was like straight up. And Mike Tyson would just hit people right on the chin, and it was like, lights out. And there was a time in history where it was like, this dude will never be defeated. Boom, boom, it's over. Next guy, who's next? Boom, boom, out. Next guy. And you're just like, you're really tuning in to see how fast he defeated the enemy. It's not if someone was going to beat Mike. 
No way. Satan works like this. Temptation. We go, sin. And he goes, death. Next. Temptation. Sin. Death. Next. Nobody has ever defeated it. He wears the, the belt. He's the champion of the world. He's the ruler, the prince of the power of the earth. He runs this place. Nobody can withstand him. Jesus comes into the scene. Temptation. Nothing. Death. Jesus gets up. Satan, hand over the belt. You no longer reign here. Without, we can clap for that, yeah. If, if you clap for Mike Tyson, this is a little more impressive. Without throwing a punch, he withstood the temptation. He let himself go into the grave, and he rose victorious. And all those that can see that go, Satan, that's not the dude anymore. There's a new dude. There's someone new that has the belt. I'm with him. Loser. Champion. Now, Satan still is here. But Christian, look at me. He's gone from being your master and you being a slave. He's gone from the communist-like regime that tells you what you have to do. You have to obey sin. You went from that reality to Satan's been ejected from power, and now he's like a con man. Okay, now he's the guy that's calling and is like, uh, yeah, you have $100,000 in your account, and uh, I'm just going to need you to send $3,000 to this account, and I will make sure you get your money. And you look at that and you're like, who falls for that? He's a deceiver and he's a con man, but he is not your king. You have a king. He's champ. When temptation comes, he's a con man. I'm not falling for that. And so many of us have our guard up against con men that are going to steal us of our money but you have your guard completely down for Satan to come steal you and rob you of your soul. Ain't nobody going to take my money. Nobody's going to fool me. I see past your con. And then you're like, sin? Oh, that sounds good. We're getting conned. Satan's been defeated. He's been ejected from his throne, but he's still alive now as a con man. And guess what? In the end, when dad comes sorted all out, Satan will be dealt with. And everyone that's following him, that's rejected the, the champ. The third thing Jesus says, he says, I'm going to draw the nations to myself. Colossians 1.19, you don't, you don't have to go there. The Apostle Paul says he's got a plan to reconcile all things in heaven and earth 
The creator has come back to bring everything back together. All the marbles in the whole earth are going to be sorted out at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says it's going to happen when I am raised from the earth, all the nations are coming. And they say, like, even Gilbert, Arizona, USA? And they're like, excuse me, what's USA? First century Jews are like, they don't even know America exists, and we're a part of this story. We've been drawn to the cross. He's been lifted up, and we've been reconciled at the feet of God through Jesus. This is our story. Jesus is depressed and anguished, but he's thinking about us and the mission of glorifying his Father. And he says, when these people in Gilbert get it, when they see the glory, they are going to be drawn they're going to be drawn to him, and he's going to sort them out. I'm going to the cross. Father, glorify your name. Romans 1, Paul explains what happened to this earth. You, me, we stopped honoring God, and we exchanged the glory of God, the weight of God, with the glory of Michael Jordan. We exchanged the glory of God for a BMW, for a remodel on our house, for our kids' success, and all the marbles of our life go towards this life that we want so bad. We've exchanged the glory of God for that. We've given weight to that. And, and Paul says in Romans 1, because of it, our minds became dark. Darkness. And claiming to be wise, we became fools. And the things that God said are good, we called bad. And the things that God said are bad, we called good. And the whole world got turned upside down. Why? Because we did not behold the glory of God, but we gave that glory to the things that he created. This is it. Here's the answer. We need to recapture the wonder of the glory of God. We need to behold him. I said, behold the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan. Every day, we need to behold the glory of Jesus Christ. And our lives and the elements of our lives will be drawn to his feet. And at the feet of Jesus, we will be sorted out. Amen? Let me pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Glorify your name and draw us to your feet and our faces down in worship of the King of Kings. Father, forgive us for giving that glory to anyone else. Forgive us for going after the con man who's been defeated. You have proven to be the champ. God, I just pray, would you allow me to see that every morning when I wake up? We pray in Christ's name, amen.